Thank you, guys. Well, good morning. Good to see all of you here. You're looking fat and happy after Thanksgiving. <laughs> Nothing like insulting the crowd just to go right there hard, eh? Yeah. Yeah, well, I'm right in there with you. Trust me. Uh, this weekend, we start a four-part series called Change, Guilt, Pain, and Worry. And uh, we're going to look at the myths that make us miserable. There's some myths about each one of these that really take us in the wrong direction. And so let's take a look at them here. We've got a slide. First myth is change should be accomplished overnight. Next, I just have to live with my guilt. If I ignore my pain, it will go away. And worry will help me control the uncontrollable. Now, those are not true. And in fact, we're going to bring the truth of God's Word to bear on each one of these myths and discover how we can make uh, our life a whole lot better. And tonight, this weekend, I want to talk to you about uh, the truth about change. And I wanted to cover this topic this weekend, plan this out earlier uh, in the year, because we're moving into a season where everything is ratcheted up to a higher level. I mean, from Thanksgiving to New Year's, uh, everything is intensified. And through this season, you're going to overeat, overwork, overspend. You're going to stretch your relationships to the max. And, and we just need to be prepared uh, for what's going to happen. And the extreme behavior that we engage in during the holidays actually sets the tone for the new year. Because in January, we're going to look back and we're going to assess the damage that we did to ourselves over the holidays. How much weight did we gain? How much debt did we incur? How much conflict did we have in our relationships? How much we overworked? And then we're going to establish some New Year's resolutions to try and repair the damage that we did to ourselves. And so we'll go on diets and we'll write budgets and we'll make phone calls and ask for forgiveness. And we'll try and make changes to our schedule to get our life back on track. So I wanted to give you this sermon. It's a preparation sermon. I wanted to give you these principles now so you can begin to process them in advance of the new year. And truthfully, if you start working on these principles now, you can reduce the damage you'll do to yourself in December, and you'll be ahead of the game when January rolls around. So I want to just share with you the process that God uses to change you. Because when you understand the process, then you can cooperate with the process and it'll be much more effective. So there are six phases to the change process and there are six ways that we can cooperate with the process. So today, I got 12 points in this sermon. That's twice as many as what I normally have. And so next week, the sermon will be pointless. Okay? <laughs> so you can prepare for that. Okay? So on your outline, take them out, let's march through this. This is the process that God uses to change us. Uh, God takes people through uh, six phases whenever he wants to change them, and God has taken you through these six phases as well. You just may not recognize it. And phase one is concern. In this phase, you become bothered about something in your life. You recognize that something isn't right. You get a little worried, a little anxious. Something seems out of balance in your life. And maybe you don't even know what it is. Or maybe you know exactly what it is. But you say, man, I just don't feel right. Maybe you felt like Job. Job said, my heart is troubled and restless. And the cause of your concern, it can be a bad habit, it could be a relationship that's struggling, it could be an unfulfilled dream, a stress point, something's just out of whack in your life. And you're thinking, you know, this isn't right, and one of these days, I'm going to have to work on this. 
And I want to give you a feeling that you have in each one of these phases. And the word that describes how you feel in phase one is you feel uncomfortable. Uncomfortable. And the discomfort that you feel may be coming from God. That restlessness that you feel in that area of your life, it may be from God. Deuteronomy 32.11 says that God is like an eagle that stirs up its nest. You know how a mother eagle gets the eaglets to leave the nest? She stirs up the nest. She takes all that soft, cushy stuff that she put in there when they were eggs and when they were little, and she starts throwing it out of the nest. And now all they got left are all these sharp, uh, uh, pointy things sticking up, and they're like, okay, I'm out of here. It's just too uncomfortable. And so if you feel a little restless, if you feel uncomfortable, if you feel troubled by something in your life, if you're saying something's just not right, congratulations. God is working in your heart and your life. He's stirring up your nest and getting you ready for change. Now the sad part about this phase is is that many people never move out of it. Many people live their entire lives with unresolved pain. They become comfortable with discomfort. And they know something's out of whack, but they're willing just to live with it. They're willing to tolerate it. Why? Because we can be afraid of change. I mean, at least the discomfort is predictable. At least, I, at least I'm familiar with this pain. I know what it feels like. I know how to deal with it. But too many people will get out of this. And that's why God has to move us to phase two. Phase two is crisis. Something happens that moves that issue off the back burner and makes it a raging fire that you've got to deal with. You know, the conflict in your marriage becomes some, so painful you, you can't ignore it anymore. Or maybe the situation at work becomes so intolerable that you quit or you get fired or maybe you have an accident or you come down with an illness or maybe the creditors start closing in and the bottom falls out. But, but something happens and the issue begins to scream at you, I am a problem. Do something. And concerns often become crisis during the holiday season. I mean, it, it, it's the intensity of this time of year pushes our concerns to the breaking point. And suddenly, what's supposed to be a season of peace and joy becomes a season of crisis. You know, and sometimes it's a minor issue. You know, a pebble can tip over the apple cart. It's the straw that breaks the camel's back. It doesn't have to be a big deal. It's just something that has been building up to the point where the concern turns into a crisis, and, and now you've got to deal with it. And that often happens during the holidays. Now, the, the phrase that describes how you feel in the second phase is intense pain. You go from being uncomfortable to, wow, this really hurts. It's intense. Look at 2 Corinthians 7, 10. Read this out loud with me. God sometimes uses sorrow in our lives to help us turn away from sin. Sometimes it takes a painful situation to get us to change. God will use pain to get your attention. And so you move from concern into crisis. And then after phase two crisis comes phase three choice choice. Have you ever noticed how the same crisis can hit two different people and they get two different results? Same crisis, two different people, two different results. One of them conquers the crisis and the other one is consumed by it. Why? Why do they get different results? It's because of the choices that they make. 
It's the choices. It's the turning point where you make up your mind. What am I going to do in response to God's change process? Am I going to retreat or move ahead? Am I going to rationalize it or deal with it? Am I going to take responsibility or am I going to blame other people? Am I going to face reality or am I going to live in denial? It's your choice. It's your choice. One of the greatest gifts God gave us was the gift of choice. Job 34.3 says, We choose the sounds we want to listen to. We choose the taste we want in food. And we should choose to follow what is right. You know, so the crisis leads you to a point where you can't procrastinate anymore. You, you've, you've got to make a choice. Problem in your marriage has gotten so big. The problem at work has gotten so big. And that friendship with your money, with your health, whatever it is, the problem has gotten so big that you either got to face the pain or flee from it. And the world will give you lots of ways to try and flee from your pain. I mean, you can take drugs, you can get drunk, you can have an affair, you can drown yourself in TV or video games, you can overeat, you can sleep too much, you can overwork, you can sink into depression. I mean, the world's got a lot of ways that it'll help you try and mask your pain. But it's your choice. Whether you're going to face it, or you're going to flee from it. And hopefully you make the decision to cooperate with God. Say, I'm going I'm to do something about this problem. Now, here's how you feel at that point. You feel scared. You feel scared. Because you don't know what's going to happen. When change occurs, you, you don't know how it's going to end up. And so when you make the decision to work on that relationship or to break this bad habit, or you, know, you can be so used to the way things are, even though they're uncomfortable and painful, you can be so used to it, you think, well, if I change, I don't know what it's going to be like. And so it's scary. Now, don't be surprised if at phase three, when you start making good choices, don't be surprised if the pain gets worse. Don't be surprised if the pain gets worse. You know, Thanksgiving was Thursday, and, and now it's Sunday, and so we're all on diets. So, so you know, when, when are the worst, what's the worst days of a diet? Well, it's the first days. You know, your stomach's growling, you're hungry, you know, you're, you're, you really want some chocolate. I mean, it's those first days that are difficult. You know, you start an exercise program. When are the most painful days of an exercise program? It's at the start. Because all of a sudden, you're waking up and using muscles, and man, they're sore, and you can't walk, you can't sit down, you can't stand up. You know, the, the first few sessions of marriage counseling are always the most painful. The first ones. Because that's when you're dealing with issues that everybody's been trying to avoid. First paycheck after you establish a budget, that's going to be the most painful. Because that's when you realize how out of control your finances really are. Okay? Math doesn't lie. So when you make the choice to begin to work on an area of your life, don't be surprised if the pain gets worse before it gets better. And honestly, this is the phase where you're the most tempted to, to say, well, forget it, I'm, I'm not going to change. I'm just going to stay the same. Because you start to pull the lid off of things, you start to expose the light into the dark, dark corners of your life and relationships, it can get ugly. It can get scary. It, you know, have you ever picked up a piece of wood or maybe a container or something or a, a sheet of plywood that's been laying in the yard for a year? We live out in the country and, and I had a piece of plywood that had been laying in the yard for a long time and I did, made the decision, oh, I'm going to pick that up and move it and take care of it. And I picked the thing up and there were nine possums under it. Yeah, it was like a horror movie. I mean, nobody needs nine possums. 
People ask me, will my pet be in heaven? Honestly, I don't know, but I know possums are going to populate hell. Okay? It's just... But glad I got that off my chest. <laughs> I got a whole riff. If you want to stick around after the service, I can go off on possums. Okay. But honestly, you, you pick stuff up and, and you see what's underneath it. Man, you, you, want to, you want to throw it back down. You don't want to have to deal with it. And, and that's why you've got to move into phase four. Phase four is comprehension. Comprehension involves the understanding of your problem. It's the phase of insight. In Romans 12, 2. Read this with me. It says, be changed within by a new way of thinking. Changed within by a new way of thinking. You've got to renew your mind. Change the way you think. Because you, if, if you don't, you can change your behavior for a little while, but it won't last. You've you got to reprogram your autopilot. You've got to change your mind. Change your perspective on the problem. Change the way you see yourself. Change the way you see the other person. Change the way you see God. And you be, if you'll do that, then you begin to look at the situation in a whole new way. You start seeing things more clearly. You actually begin to understand, oh, this is what the problem is, and these are the changes that I need, need to make it. And, and during this phase... You must seek God. You must seek God because it's the truth that will set you free. And God has the truth. God has the truth. You don't. And your problem's not really your problem. The problem is the way you look at the problem. Jeremiah 17 says the heart is deceitful. And that means that that you have an incredible ability to lie to yourself. I do too. You know, I lie to myself all the time. And so, so you, know, you can fool yourself into thinking, well, they're the problem. You know, the problem's out there. No, 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 no. Problem's right in here. And you've got you to get that perspective. Because if you don't see it from the true perspective, and, you know, if somebody else is involved, they don't see it from the true perspective. So you've got to get God's view. God sees the truth. He sees what's going on. And so this comprehension phase, you really got to seek God and what he has to say about the issue. Now, what happens in phase four is you feel cautiously hopeful. You know, you start getting a new perspective and you start thinking, maybe I can change after all. You know, maybe I could make this budget work. Maybe I can live on this diet after all. Maybe, maybe I could make this marriage work. And, and you start to get a little hope. You know, you're cautious, but you got hope. And you start seeing how things connect, how they fit together. Ah, this is the real problem. And God is increasing your understanding, changing your perspective. Have you ever wondered why God would change people's names in the Bible? I mean, God did that pretty often. He changed Abram's name Abram's name to Abraham. He changed Jacob's name to Israel. He changed Saul's name to Paul. He changed Simon's name to Peter. I mean, why did he do that? He's doing a phase four on them. He's changing their perspective. He's changing their identity. He's helping them see the truth about themselves. Now, a couple of warnings about this phase. And one is, is the truth sets you free, but first it makes you miserable. You know, I mean, that's why denial is so attractive. But, you know, the truth can be painful. It can be scary. The truth can be unflattering. But you need to know that and you need to be prepared for it as you go through the change process. And you also need to know that knowing the truth and doing the truth are two different things. Many people make the mistake of thinking, well, now that I know what's wrong with me, I'm cured. 
Now that I got all this knowledge, uh, you know, now that I know what the problem is in my relationship, I'm better. But there's a big difference between knowing the truth and doing the truth. And so when you get new insights about yourself, there can be a false sense of satisfaction of, oh, okay, I know, I know what's wrong, so now I've done it. And that can happen to you after every sermon. I mean, you can walk out of every church service and think, oh, okay, now I understand change, now I understand guilt, now I understand pain, now I understand worry, I'm better. No, you have to be a doer of the truth, not just a knower. And too many people get stuck in this phase of comprehension. You know, one of the concerns I have as a pastor is I'm going to create a bunch of people who just have a bunch of head knowledge, but they're not doing it. And, and there's, there's just real danger in that. You've got to move on to phase five, which is conduct. Conduct. Phase four is beliefs. Phase five is behavior. And you begin acting on what you know. Let's read James 2.17 out loud. Faith if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. You know, the issue is, will I apply what I know? The Bible calls that repentance. Repentance means acting on what's right. You know, people think repentance just means feeling sorry for something you've done wrong, but it's far more than that, because you can feel sorry for something and not change. It's easier to cry than it is to change. And and repentance is not just feeling bad about what you've done wrong. Repentance is changing your lifestyle, changing your behavior. And the truth is, everybody in this room knows far more than we're doing. We all know far more than we're doing. And that's why in this phase, you feel frustrated. You feel frustrated. Because you know what the right thing to do is, but you're not doing it. And you can feel frustrated because, you know, you're making progress. You're not where you used to be, but you're not where you need to be yet. And you know that. You know, you're not stuck back here being uncomfortable, but you haven't arrived yet. And so you can feel frustrated. Anytime you try and start a new behavior, it feels awkward. It feels strange. It feels frustrating. You know, treating your spouse differently can feel awkward. Eating the right things can, can feel different, can be a challenge. And so, uh, you know, God never said this was going to be easy. He just says it's necessary. And if you're serious about change, you've got to do the right thing even if it feels awkward, even if it feels different. Because that leads you to phase six. Phase six is where you make a commitment to continue. You make a commitment to continue because your character is never going to be complete as long as you're here on earth. There is always more work to do. Uh, I didn't have this room for this verse on your outline. You'll just have to write this one down. Ephesians 4.23 says, Your attitudes and thoughts must be constantly changing. Why? We never stop changing. Why? Because the goal is for us to become like Jesus Christ. That's the goal. And so we got a lot of changing to do in this life. Theologians call that sanctification. Salvation is the start of the Christian life. Sanctification is the process of becoming more and more like Christ. It's the process of growing to spiritual maturity. And it involves a lot of life change. And maybe you've, maybe you've worked on an issue in your life, and, and you worked on it for a while, and you make some progress, and then you think, man, I'm glad I'm done with that. And then all of a sudden, God goes, uh, I don't think so. And he brings that issue back around again. 
And he says, okay, let's go deeper this time. Let's work on this some more. And so, you know, you don't go back and start at the beginning, thank God. No, you pick up where you left off and you make, make more progress. So God's going to keep changing you. And, that, and honestly, with that, you can feel discouraged. You can feel discouraged. In every phase, you're going to feel tempted to bail out and say, this is just too hard, I'm just going to stay the same. But you have to make a commitment to continue to change. It takes more than desire to change. It takes discipline. It takes dedication. It takes a commitment to lifelong learning, lifelong growth. And too many people give up because it's easier to bail out than it is to continue to change. So how do you make this process easier? How do you cooperate with God's process? On the back of your outline. Phase one, you've got to be alert to God's voice. You've got to stay in tune to God's voice. And that's how you realize if that restlessness in your heart is coming from God or if you're just restless. You know, there's a difference between those two. But God may be getting you ready for change, and so you want to be alert to his voice. Job 33, for God does speak now one way, now another, though man may not perceive it. In a dream as they slumber, or he may speak in their ears with warnings, or a man may be chastened on a bed of pain with constant distress. God talks to us in many different ways, and sometimes we just don't perceive it. So we've got to be alert to God's voice. Phase two, you've got to accept God's comfort when the crisis comes. You know, when that crisis hits, you know, you don't run from God, run to him. Run to him. Isaiah 42.3, God will encourage the faint-hearted, those tempted to despair. Psalm 31.7, you, God, have listened to my troubles and have seen the crisis in my soul. You know that pain that you're feeling right now? God sees that. God's aware of it. He understands it. God is trying to use that pain to make great change in your life. God never wastes a hurt. And so when the crisis comes into your life, you've got to do what Jonah did. When I had lost all hope, I turned my thoughts once more to the Lord. You accept God's comfort when the crisis comes. Phase three, you ask God for courage. Isaiah 43, when you go through deep waters and great trouble, I, God, will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. I want to tell you, later on in the service, Teresa is going to sing a song called Deeper. And, and you need to be ready for that song when it comes here in just a moment. Because, man, oh man, the truth in that song, it, it'll make a difference in your life. We've got a real moment coming up for you. And so I just encourage you, be ready, participate. Put those hands up, baby, and welcome it. Because it's, it's a great thing. God can make a difference in your life. I mean, you, where is Christ at every phase that you're going through? He's right there with you. And though you may not know where the change will take you, you can be assured that Jesus Christ is going there with you. That you make the change wherever it takes you, Christ will be there with you. That, that, that's a powerful truth that can give you the courage. Phase four, you've got to apply God's word. You, you learn what the real problem is, and then you apply God's word, because it's the truth that sets you free, and the more you apply the truth, the freer you become. Not just up here, it's going to move out into here. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, the whole Bible is useful to teach us, it changes the way we think, 
It teaches us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It points out the problems in our life. It straightens us out. It tells us how we need to be living. And it helps us to do what is right. The Word gives you the power to do what's right. That's awesome. James 1.22 says, Do not merely listen to the Word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Information without application is deception. You know, if you just load yourself up with a bunch of information, you can deceive yourself that you're better off than you are. But, but you, you know, you, you'll think you're growing, but you're not. And so you've got to act on what you know in order to grow. You've got to apply God's Word. Apply the power of the Word in your life. Phase five, you anticipate God's help. Psalm 37, commit everything you do to the Lord. Trust Him to help you do it, and He will. Because this is not about you trying harder. Life change is not about you trying harder. It's about you trusting Him more. That's where the power is found. You know, it's not a matter of willpower. It's a matter, a matter of God's power. And so you trust Him to help you do it. And then in phase six, what do we do in phase six? You adhere to God's plan. To adhere means to stick to something. You stick to it. You don't quit. You stay with it. You don't give up. Jesus said, if you continue in my word, then you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. If you continue in my word, then you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. You got to stay with it. You got to be committed to continuing. And some of you came here today and you're at the breaking point. Your crisis has come and you're ready to give up. You're ready to give up on that dream. You're ready to give up on your health. You're ready to give up. You're not going to quit trying to change that bad habit. You're ready to give up on your marriage. You're ready to quit. And God brought you here. He brought you here today for this moment so he could say to you, don't you do it. Don't do it. Don't quit. Adhere. Stick to it. Stay with it. Be committed to making the changes that God wants to make in your life. Galatians 6, 9 says, Let us not get tired of doing what is right. For after a while, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't get discouraged and give up. And if you quit, if you bail out, you're going to miss Christ best for your life. So don't do it. Don't quit. Stick with it. Adhere. Now there's one more thing you're going to need if you're going to change. Because the way God designed this process, He designed this process to be done in community, in fellowship with other people. This isn't something that you do alone at home uh, this isn't something that you do by yourself. This is something that you do with other people. You do it in community, in fellowship, with the body of Christ, the family of God, with the church. And so maybe you've been coming for a while and you've, you've never made the decision to become a member of Rockbrook Church. I'm going to invite you next Sunday, not this afternoon, but next Sunday afternoon, we're going to be doing 101 Church. It's our membership class. And I'm going to be back teaching that class for the first time since June. And I would encourage you to come to that class. And we'll talk to you about membership and what it means to be part of the family of God and the support you can find here. And you can make a connection. You can find help 
to make the life change that you need to make, to help you to be committed to continue to change and let God work in your life. We want you to reap that harvest of blessing, and we're going to do it together. Let's pray together. Lord, I want to thank you that you are patient with us. I thank you that you never give up on us. And you take us through these stages because you love us. Even when we don't understand it, even when we don't realize it, you're making us more and more like Christ. And God, if there are people here today who've never made that choice for Jesus Christ to be their Lord and Savior, I just pray that in this moment they'd realize that this is their chance. This is their opportunity to open their heart and life to Christ and say, Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Bind up my wounds. Heal me. Help me to, to latch on to that eternal, abundant life that you offer to those who believe in you. God, I thank you for the salvation that we can find in Christ. And God, I thank you for the sanctification that we find in Christ, that you don't leave us where we are, but God, you move us from glory to glory. You move us step by step to become like your son. God, you've given us a goal, a destination, a person to become like. And I thank you for the hope that we find in Christ. Pray that as a family, that as a congregation, we would be stirred to encourage one another and build each other up, especially through this holiday season, especially through the intensity of what's coming, that we would be there for one another, and that we would stay the course. For we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.